It's funny how some things are evil until they are not. When I was getting my start in cultivation, male cannabis plants were a scourge. They essentially damaged the female plants that we were trying to grow as medicine, and we had to be on the constant lookout because they were sneaky and they could get missed. My mentor, Hector, enjoyed the hunt, though, and catching the boys before they could get at the girls. It wasn't long, though, before we started thinking about crossing particular plants to make a more reliable medicinal plant. Suddenly, those male plants had a role to play, and the pollen was valuable. Of course, cannabis breeding is so hot right now, and pollen is more valuable than ever. Have you used CBG-dominant cannabis flower, tincture, or other preparations in the last six months? Dr. Ethan Russo asked me to let you know that he and others are conducting a study to determine the benefits and drawbacks to cannabigerol, and they would love your opinion. The questionnaire takes about 10 minutes and can be anonymous if you wish. The study is available at bit.ly forward slash CBG study. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash capital CBG study. And the link is in the notes for this episode on shapingfire.com too. Thanks for considering participating. If you want to learn about cannabis health, business, and technique efficiently and with good cheer, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. We'll send you new podcast episodes as they come out delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week and videos too. Don't rely on social media to let you know when a new episode is published. Sign up for the updates to make sure you don't miss an episode. Also, we're giving away very cool prizes to folks who are signed up to receive the newsletter. There's nothing else you need to do to win except receive that newsletter. So go to shapingfire.com to sign up for the newsletter this week and be entered into this month's and all future newsletter prize drawings. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I'm your host, Shango Lose. My guest today is Daniel Morford of Heart Rock Mountain Farm. Daniel is a lifelong cannabis farmer, having learned from his dad who started growing in 1976 on their family farm in Mendocino. Daniel has been cultivating with a focus on breeding for some 17 seasons now, and he and his dad continue to focus on licensed cannabis breeding with their California nursery license. The farm has earned the prestigious Dragonfly Earth Medicine Dempure Certification for Regenerative Farming. Today we'll be discussing the collection, storage, and application of cannabis pollen. One note on audio quality. I migrated Shaping Fire to new recording software this week, and I didn't get the settings exactly correct. The next few episodes that we recorded are all fine, but this particular episode included a bit of learning curve on my part, so the mic doesn't sound as good as usual. Luckily, though, Daniel sounds fine, and we're all here to hear him anyway. So thanks for tolerating me recording on the wrong mic, and next week's show sounds better than any Shaping Fire in the past. Welcome to the show, Daniel. It's good to be here. Right on, man. So, hey, let's get right into it. You know, historically, males have been shunned and destroyed by everybody. They've been a, they were a threat to the garden. For those who are new to this part of cultivation, why do we want to collect pollen in the first place? Uh, you know, to, to make seeds is the pretty much only use right now, although we have sent off pollen for research and development as a supplement to a company in Los Angeles. <laughs> Oh, I hadn't heard of that. That's a pretty cool idea. But yeah, to, to make seeds. And so that's that's why folks want to do it. Um, when when do we collect the pollen from these males? Well, it, you know, it, it depends if you're an outdoor grower or an indoor grower. And I do outdoor cultivation. The males generally flower before the females. Not all of them, you know. Um, so, you know, they'll start coming in sometimes a month before the females depending on 
which cultivar. Uh, that must be kind of inconvenient for nature, right? For the pollen to be dropping so much earlier than the than the ladies are ready for it. Um, uh, but they they keep dropping though. So you know how my dad first acclimized South American and Mexican sativas to the climate here in Mendocino County was collecting that first pollen and putting it on just the indicator hairs of these sativas. So just the which grow off the main stock, not even in a bud, and within a couple generations of taking the earliest males to those indicator hairs, they had acclimatized South American strains to the mountains of Mendocino County. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you said that they they keep dropping though. So, so with most males, yeah, they keep dropping. Do we do we find that they they're actually starting early, ahead of the female flowers becoming mature, and and they're and they often are dropping pollen throughout the entirety of the blooming process. Yes, they would. Yeah. So yeah, and, go ahead. And then what? Yeah, that's why in. When we talk later about the open pollination projects, but I'll eventually cut the males down because they'll just keep going, and and, and you want to make sure that the seeds that you have going will will mature and not just keep you know better. Yes, because so you want to cut down on the immature seeds because uh, if the pollen keeps on dropping throughout the summer, um, if if a plant if a female plant gets pollinated at the end of the summer, there's no way that seed's going to ever finish outdoors. So it's better to just prevent that. I mean, it depends on where you are. I harvested a, um, a bunch of seed ranches yesterday, which is the latest I've ever had them, but we're in a little banana belt for our region. Yeah, yeah. For most parts of the country, uh, here the end of November, when we're recording this, um, everybody's mostly done and the plants, you know, being seasonal have gone to mold already. Um, you know, you said that your dad um, uh, did a lot with early season pollen. Is the is pollen yeah. essentially the same whether it's early season or late season? It's it's all viable, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just you know different expressions of genetics. Oh, it is. So, well, wait. The, it's well, a, it can be. Expre- so, so sometimes the 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 traits in the pollen change over the course of the year. Well, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're doing, you know, out, let's say you have a, a seed lot and, you know, so you could select the later flowering males in it or the earlier flowering males or, you know, some, some you know, it, or like look for specific structure in the buds. But, yeah, I mean, what they I were trying to do is, From plant yeah. to plant, it's there's variety, but not necessarily yes. within the same plant. And I found that in the females, too, even a stable seed line, you're, you're harvesting over two weeks. Uh, you know of maturity in you know in the female so you you see a similar thing in the males mm-hmm. and then sometimes you get within that two week window you get a few on two weeks above or before that window with both males and females so um is there any um you know for people who will be doing this for the first time um it's always interesting to see the male flowers form looking like you know little balls and everything and um and and then it seems like once they once they start to form if you're excited about it sometimes it like takes seems to take forever for the first ones to pop open and start pollinating you're like man is it time yet is it time yet um you know some people who are you know maybe newish and aggressive, you know, they start to mess with the balls to, you know, the flowers to try to get them to pop. Um, you know, do you ever encourage that or, or are you very much keep your hands off the plant? 
Oh, it depends. Like, uh, uh, but it's usually I've only ever really done it with like, you know, the auto flowers or something. But yeah, I I have actually you know picked off um, ripe male clusters that you know they have like a, a more yellowish color and then you can take those before they open and you could just you know min- squeeze them a little bit and pinch them and, and pollen will come out onto and you can just pick off a bunch of those male flowers and go right to the female you want to pollinate and just give it a little uh pressure and, and they'll send out some fresh pollen we should probably consider that to be something that we do rarely, right? Like in extreme circumstances though. Yeah. Or like when the timing's right, you go, Oh wow, this male's ready. Oh, and I want to put it on this female. You could do that. And it does work in. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it can be something you can do, but definitely the majority of the pollination isn't done that way. Right on. So uh, we're going to talk a lot about uh, technique here in a little bit, but kind of generally, um, I'd like you to talk to the idea of pollen being fragile, right? Because uh, yeah. you know yeah. th- it's this it's this uh, you know very fragile powder that we're working with, and um, what are the ways that some of the ways that we can damage pollen and render it inert and not useful? Um, you know, moisture for sure. You know, you want to make sure that the pollen you've harvested is kept dry and you know um and then i store it in a jar with you know a moisture absorbing packet and then also during like you you just harvested your pollen you don't want to put it in the fridge unless you want to do long-term storage and or the freezer for really long-term storage your best just to keep it in a constant temperature like room temperature would be fine you know, I keep mine on the kitchen table by our air conditioner, so it stays like around you know seventy, and because you, know, you don't want to take it from such an extreme environment like the fridge out to your garden where you're going to pollinate, because that 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 going back and forth will limit the um, viability of your pollen. Right, because you're 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 you know changing heat back and forth, and you're changing yeah. humidity back and forth, and um, we don't, we don't want to yeah. be changing uh, the state that much. That's for sure. And, you know, one of the longest cases of, of viable pollen I've heard was just from uh, Noah from Golden Figs this year. He had pollen that he'd harvested in April, but it was actually in, still in the male flower. He just dried the male flower, and he used that that fall to make seeds. So, so he, he kept it in the male flower to Yeah, he just dried time. the whole. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a pretty cool yeah. tech. I haven't heard of that. I hadn't heard of it either, first time. For me, the most dangerous aspect of collecting the pollen and you know, as far as its fragility is, is just being careful to not have it blow away, you know, either by my breath or a breeze or somebody setting something down on the table while I'm working with it. It's it's really remarkable. Yeah. I mean, it's designed to be carried by by light breezes, right? And so it takes totally. that job real seriously. Yeah, I, I definitely find myself holding my breath during certain aspects of pollen collection. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's go ahead and get like into that part of it. So, um, you know, uh, during the second set, we're going to be talking a lot more on like scaling up um, yeah. the number of plants. But we want to make sure that we kind of go through the simple version of this once um, for folks who are new to this idea and patients and home growers. And and then second yeah. set, we'll we'll hit it a little harder for the for the you know people who are are you know doing 
larger sifts and everything. So, totally. um, so will you will you walk us through it? Assuming that um, you know that the cultivator has got one male and one female, just take us through the whole process from the very beginning. Yeah. So, um, you you know you can just leave, pretty much leave the male alone until it starts to get nice and chunky. You don't really have to worry about it until it gets, you know, deep into flower. And then, you know, depending on how you're harvesting your pollen, you want to check it a couple of times a day. Um, before in, you know, you know, some of the easiest way someone can make seeds with them with one male and one female would be to have them in a five gallon pot and just take them into the shower. <laughs> Yeah, or the bathroom or somewhere, you know, isolated from the rest of the garden, you know, and then that, you know, let the the pollen get on the female and then cut down the male, rinse everything off, you know, water destroys pollen pretty quickly. And then, you know, give that female 24 to 48 hours, rinse her off, take her back out with the general population and you're good. Um, Another thing that the home grower might want to look into, I've never used it, but it is in some breeding books, are the, I think they're on the internet, they're called um, blossom bags. And they're they're used in seed making to not have cross-pollination between like different varieties of tomatoes and whatever. And what you can literally do is you can prune up the male a little bit and put these blossom bags over the male flower, collect those. And then put that same bag over your over the female branch you want to make seeds on. You know, one small branch can yield you know fifty to three hundred seeds. Yeah, so there you can you know then there's a lot of fun in that too when you're when you're just learning how to collect and use pollen. Um, it's actually pretty cool. You, you know, you don't have to do an entire plant. Sometimes people will just take their you know a few branches and maybe pollinate it with you know, two or one female plant with two or three different males. So this pr- this branch will be this cross and this branch will be another cross. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and it's, a, it's a great way to practice to you know, get your skills up and also to learn how different pollen um, interacts with, uh, with the same female plant. Yeah, it's, I definitely will paint some ladies up just be like, oh, I'm going to, you find a good one or something. You're like, Ooh, this is going to get a lot of pollen, you know, from, so, um, so you, the first the first technique that you suggested was just simply taking the male and the female plant and isolating them somewhere. Uh, for example, a uh, a shower or or a, you know a small yeah. room in your house, and just letting them be near each other. And you know, I've done this as well. I, I kind of you know wrap them into each other and, and tap the male a little yeah. bit, and you know just kind of get that going. Um, why don't you go through what it's like to actually? Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, tap the plant and remove remove it for uh, for painting back on with a brush. Why don't you talk us through that process? Yeah. So for your average um, home grower, you know what we have done and, and people still do is you know you just once that male gets nice and chunky and you know it looks like it's going to open maybe maybe it's opened you know started to open or some of the you know you can take that and make a bouquet out of it and put it in either a jar of water or you can do like a a jar of um nutrients in there you know like i think uh josh and kelly of dragonfly earth medicine do like a nettle tea for it you know i just do water but you you know sometimes you'll get a dud where you you'll bouquet a male and it won't drop and maybe if 
I didn't use just water, maybe that would, you know, help it out. Um, so then you take that bouquet uh, into somewhere in your house and you, some people have it under, a, you know, a Pyrex, a Pyrex dish or over, a, a, you know, a sheet of wax paper or whatever you want that to collect that pollen on. And then you let it do its thing till it looks like you have enough pollen for what you need. And then you scrape it up, get the plant material out, you know, put it in a jar with a moisture absorbing packet, keep it in a, like a dry place, let that pollen cure for a few days, and then you can put a lid on it and you're good. And <clears throat> then when it comes time to uh, apply the paintbrush, you know, um, you, you know, wait for a uh, look at check your weather reports early in the morning, like right at sunrise where we're at. There's like no or little wind. And this year I made myself some uh, like windscreens to set up so that, you know, I didn't waste my mornings getting up really early with my pollen kit. Um, when there's a one mile an hour wind, I'm like, oh, I can't, you know, or two mile, three mile, you know, they would ruin my morning of seed making. But uh, especially with the scale that I achieved this year, it, it helped accomplish that but even on your small you know set up some windscreens or get some of those chinese curtains even would work great are the i don't know if they're chinese but asian curtains you know like the folding ones mm -hmm. that but we use the i made some with just some bamboo and the uh, frost protection fabric uh reme <laughs> and then you know and then you paint you know if there's no wind you can get right above the branch you want look you want to paint and just tap the brush and you can see the the pollen just fall straight down to the ground and i've even seen that when harvesting some males that were starting to open in our mail garden on a no wind morning you can you can wash the pollen doesn't get very far when you uh when you make this bouquet of the male yeah. flowers and um, and I like this technique. This is not one that I've tried. That you you know you put it into a mason jar or something that acts like yep. a vase, and and you've got your uh, either just straight water or a, a light nutrient solution perhaps in there, and um, and they they start to open. I, I imagine that there's going to be pollen on the sides of the mason jar, and then whatever you're collecting below it. Do you put any kind of a dome over it so that the pollen doesn't go elsewhere in the room? You know, um, I haven't in the past, but you know, and you know, like I said, I have developed like other techniques um, when we started just to scale up. Um, and I, in the pollen boxes, and I do have a, a pyro plexiglass lid for those, when, and I in a in a little hole with a coat hanger, and I do stir them up so the pollen doesn't go elsewhere and it just drops into the box. And I've made, you know, the home grower could just use a cardboard box to do that too. You know, they could you get creative if they wanted to. But, you know, like, yeah, when we had, like, eight males, we'd have one in the kitchen, one in the bedroom, one in the bath, you know. <laughs> you just you spread them out, you know. Yeah, and, and, and you know, certainly that's uh, that's something that's perfectly good for a, for a home or a, or a patient thing. But, you know, as yeah. you get more, com you know, as you get more hardcore about it, like you are nowadays, you're going to want to keep those, um, you know, a lot more excluded from each other. You mentioned that yep. um, once the pollen is dropped onto your collecting you know, paper or Pyrex or whatever, um, that then you, um, 
and then you jumped to you know the paintbrush part but let's talk about taking the pollen off of that piece of paper yeah. or or pyrex yeah. so um how how much do you clean up the pollen before you remove oh, it yeah, from yeah. that dish because like you know some, there's a lot of stuff that that drops from plants in addition yeah. to pollen yep i i like to get my 99 percent clean and i use just a couple like my you know a costco card or whatever I use two cards and you know um very carefully i will do a very light just kind of hold the the card loose in my hand and drag it over the paper and that gets the plant material out towards the bottom and then i manipulate that a couple times and get the majority of the i get the plant material off with as little pollen as possible and you know i have used tweezers before in the past but i've developed a nice light touch technique to get the majority of the plant material off which is a couple cards but yeah you know tweezers will work too or you know, uh, I haven't done it, but I know some people have used like the little tea strainers or whatever, you know. And it is important to get those, um, you know, often some of the plant material are the, the outer layers of the male flowers because once they pop open, the, the yeah. outside folds of the flower starts to dry and drop off. But when they drop off, they're not really totally dry. And so um, what you're doing is is adding risk to your pollen because that's essentially water, right? There's water in that in that male yeah. flower part um, that's gonna that's yeah. gonna threaten. So so let's say that you're not immediately gonna go over to the female plant to apply the yeah. pollen, but you're also not saving this for months. Let's say that you're just like yeah. saving it for like let's say three days. Um, what do you like to put your pollen in to hold it and keep it safe um, until the day that you're going to use it? I like the, those little amber jars. I, I, I'm not sh sure the size on them, but, you know, they're like... Uh, a glass, essentially, though. Yeah, a glass jar, you know, like the... Um, it was a moisture packet, and that'll be viable for two months at least just in in your kitchen or in a in a cabinet or you know somewhere a cool you know constant temperature is probably more important you know you don't need to manipulate it too much yeah yeah room temperature cool get it out of the yeah. sun get it out of temperature changes don't put it near the heater <laughs> yeah yeah totally um and then uh, you know another thing you have to be cons you know now and this with the hemp aphid is aphids will really mess with the, the your pollen viability if you don't get them off or reduce their population not you know that was what we discovered last year you know we lost batches of pollen to to the aphid the hemp aphid wow i'm really glad i haven't run into that so so as you're collecting yeah. the pollen you're also collecting aphids in the in the dust is that what how what it was like you can yeah you can Ugh. you know so we actually i did you know, this year was a lot of firsts. This was the first year I ever, you know, sprayed male plants for pesticides. You know, pesticides. <laughs> we just did a, a, a insecticidal soap, knock the aphids down, and sure, that's interesting though because you're yeah. that, that's something to keep in, in mind though because if you are going to use an insecticidal soap or if you're going to use anything with essential oils in it at all. Um, all of that could mess with the pollen. And so you want to make sure that you are aggressive with your 
um, pesticide, natural pesticide remedies early on so that the week that you're expecting your pollen to drop, you're not doing any of that monkey business. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that hemp aphid is tenacious. So um, the last thing I want to hit before we uh, go to the first commercial and then come back and, and talk about doing this at a, at a much, much more scaled level, um, you, you mentioned uh, you know, you, you applying the uh, pollen uh, with a just, you know, just a simple watercoloring paintbrush. And, you know, uh, yeah. there, this isn't rocket science. You can, you know, tap above it and let it fall on it or, or literally. Or actually paint it, yeah. Yeah, or literally paint it. But the, the next thing you said is something that I don't usually do. Um, you mentioned, um, you, know, w- you know, I think you said wait a couple days and wash her down. Talk to us about that. Oh, you know, if you're, I don't do it either, but if you, if you were concerned, uh, if you did like an indoor um, and you took the female out of, one female out of your room to pollinate it, then you would wait 24, 48 hours to put it back in. And, and, and if you were really paranoid about, you know, pollinating the other general population you would then watch rinse that off that female off before you brought it in you know so, if you wanted to be extra safe that you know you know sure so but but when you say rinse it off do you i mean that, like that gives me i mean like you don't mean like with a hose you just mean like mist it with a spray bottle sure yeah but it depends on how far along in the flower you know if you got you know depends on how far you are in the flower so what are the different options depending on where it is in the flower break that out a little bit yeah, and also the, you know the the pollen sticks pretty good there too. But yeah, you could miss just mist it off. Would, would at any stage would it would, you know, null the pollen. So so if we're cleaning off the plant, and I get the idea, we kind of want to make any any loose pollen that's you know on a leaf or or didn't really join with the plant. We don't want to reintroduce that to our tent or or put it up upwind from a plant that we're not planning on pollinating. Um, will that threaten the pollen that we have already placed on the female flowers that we want to have turn into seeds? Not if you wait, you know. 24 to 48 hours uh that process is or that's already impregnated that uh i forget the what the hair the, the stamen is a stamen which uh, the female i forget the technical term but yeah it's already started it's, that, its job you know, is done electrical process there yeah right on all right. Well, cool. Well, that takes us through, uh, you know, how to do it uh, simply for for one person. Um, so let's go ahead and take our commercial break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking about scaling it when you're we're tra- you're trying to do this for uh, dozens and dozens of plants uh, as part of a breeding program. Uh, we're going to take a short break and be right back. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is Daniel Morford of Heart Rock Mountain Farm. Oxygen is an essential plant nutrient, and keeping sufficient dissolved oxygen in the root zone is a challenge. Gaia's brand of ultra-fine nanobubble systems will help your garden thrive in ways you may not have considered. No matter if you grow in soil, hydroponics, or aquaponics, Gaia's ultra-fine nanobubble systems will increase your dissolved oxygen and increase your yield. Often, the first sign of inadequate oxygen supply to the roots is wilting of the plant under warm conditions and high light levels. Insufficient oxygen results in an accumulation of toxins and an insufficient amount of water and mineral absorption. If oxygen starvation continues, mineral deficiencies will begin to show, roots die back, and plants will become stunted. 
Healthy roots supplied with sufficient oxygen are able to absorb nutrient ions selectively from the surrounding solution as required. In studies, this has shown a 30% increase in plant growth. Not only do ultra-fine oxygen bubbles allow your plants to thrive, but they will keep your drip lines and irrigation pipes and plumbing clean too, because algae, pythium, and other invasive species only survive in low oxygen environments. And the Gaia system only costs about $2 per day to run. Gaia ultra-fine oxygen nanobubblers are also great for making compost teas and wild-crafted nutrient teas. The smaller bubbles of truly dissolved oxygen allow more microbes to reproduce faster. Go to Gaia's website at h205.com to learn more about using dissolved oxygen and how to purchase this simple yet amazing technology. That's h205.com. With the National Hemp Program in flux due to stringent THC testing requirements, brothers Seth and Eric Crawford continue to release seeds to hemp farmers that will be legal, no matter how you grow them or when you test them. These new varieties from Oregon CBD seeds have substantial amounts of CBDV, CBGV, CBCV, and THCV while always staying below the 0.3% THC limit and guaranteeing compliant crops for farmers every time. Also, these new varieties cannot be pollinated by your neighbor's uncontrolled pollen or a rogue male in your own crop either. Oregon CBD seeds are non-GMO certified too. Oregon CBD Seeds was founded and funded in 2015 by Seth and Eric, maxing out their personal credit cards without outside investment. They continue to refuse outside investment that would change their company culture. Oregon CBD grows tons of fresh food on their research farms for local food banks, literally tons of food. They also give away tens of thousands of pounds of R&D flour to patients. As their company began to succeed, Seth and Eric started donating money to the cannabis medicine and hemp fiber cause too by giving millions of dollars to Oregon State University in order to establish the world's leading cannabis genomics research program. And they treat their employees right. Oregon CBD pays for full health and dental coverage for their employees, a 401k program, and their minimum starting wage is 20 bucks an hour. Plus, everyone shares food from the farms. Seth has been on Shaping Fire a few times to talk about novel cannabinoids. You can check out episodes 25 and 37 on CBD cultivars in the hemp market, episode 66 on triploid cannabis genetics, and the very first Shaping Fire Live, episode 47, with Seth and soil expert Jeff Lowenfels talking about autoflowers. If you are a hemp farmer and you want to grow reliable seeds that are sure to thrive and pass testing, check out OregonCBDSeeds.com to learn more about buying seeds for the 2021 season. That's OregonCBDSeeds.com. Sometimes the topics I want to share with you are far too brief for an entire Shaping Fire episode. In those instances, I post them to Instagram. I invite you to follow my two Instagram profiles and participate online. The Shaping Fire Instagram has follow-up posts to Shaping Fire episodes, growing and processing best practices, product trials, and, of course, gorgeous flower photos. The Shango Los Instagram follows my travels on cannabis garden tours, my successes and failures in my own garden, insights and best practices from personal grows everywhere, and always gorgeous flower photos. On both profiles, the emphasis is on sharing what I've learned in a way that you can replicate it in your own garden, your own hash lab, or for 
for your own cannabinopathic health. So I encourage you to follow at Shaping Fire and at Shango Los and join our online community on Instagram. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Los. And our guest this week is Daniel Morford of Heart Rock Mountain Farm. So during the first set, we talked about uh, you know the real basics of what it is to work with pollen and how to uh, collect and pollinate one plant when you don't need to save it. And you know, in an ideal situation, uh, it would be that easy all the time. But when you start getting you know really into breeding and or or producing a lot of different variety of seeds for your farm to make yourself more you know uh, you know self reliant. Um, the numbers get up pretty quickly, and uh, you know, when, one of the reasons why I was excited about having you on this show for this, Daniel, is, you know, when when we were you know chatting, and you're like, oh yeah, you know, we did 150 different cultivars this year, and like, I know, I'm sure that there are other people who are doing that kind of volume, but I've never heard of that kind of volume before, and I'm like, my <laughs> God, keeping a, a, you know over 150 different cultivars straight where. You know, on a season that I do six, I'm all like, oh man, things are starting to get pretty chaotic, right? So, um, so why don't you start us out with, you know, when you, when you are planning for that many plants, yeah. how do you think it through in advance and then, and then start walking us through how you go about handling that kind of volume? Yeah, well, I was a little nervous actually, and I, and I didn't necessarily think it through, but I had a plan, you know, and, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. So, you know, when we scaled up from eight to, you know, to 20, you know, I made my first prototype pollen collection box with cardboard and, uh, it was, I got wardrobe boxes. I pre-slit the front ends of them. So, and then take those back up. So then I could, you know, undo those and access the bottom of the box where I also did a pre-cut square with uh, wax paper. And then I closed that back up and that was my first pollen collection box. I put my male bouquet in there, let it do its thing. It harvested a lot more pollen than previous techniques. And then when we went from 20 to 50 and 50 to 75, you know, when we went to 20 to 50, I, ha I had uh, my friends in Ukiah um, help me build wooden pollen collection boxes for one like the wardrobe boxes are expensive and then they're you know a couple uses or you know one season they're warped from rinsing them out in between uses and the water really so we came up with these really nice wooden boxes that have a drawer in the bottom that slides out with a plexiglass sheet and then i have a plexiglass lid for it and you know we have 30 of and i upgraded when i went from 50 to 75 males got by good then from 75 to over 150 we we got more bot we got another do dozen boxes made and and that really helped and then what made with the resources i had and the space collecting over 150 males this year was that um a about 70 to 80 of those were f1 autoflower hybrids with photo period so they're technically photosensitive but they came in that was the first round and they came in almost all of those went through my pollen collection system right before the full terms did and you know i was definitely looking at this massive in-ground male garden i had and i was sweating <laughs> and then the autoflower hybrids came in early i'm like hey i think this this is actually this gonna, gonna work, work. <laughs> yeah and, and 
it was an intense there was you know many nights i was up till two in the morning you know first start out clearing out the pollen boxes then harvesting the males that were ready and then spraying down everything else and you know because that's another thing you can do is you can keep spraying down your males if you're not you're like oh i can't harvest this yet you know spray them down however many times a day till you know you're ready to harvest them and that way you're not getting pollen spread where you want to do it and that's something that you know dragonfly earth medicine does you know like moon gazers out in red river valley do. it's a that's a technique that you can do and so yeah you know it, it's it you have to be if you want to keep males safely outdoors you know you have to find a zone that's good for it or make a zone that's good for it and you have to be diligent you have to be on top of it and the same thing for hand pollinating your females you know you have it's work and dedication and care um you know and there are hacks around that that you know you can do it safely um like a lot of people i know do the you know put the pollen in a turkey bag and, and put it over the branch which i find you don't get as many seeds but you also don't get as many seeds elsewhere, which, you know, people can like. But, yeah, so, you know, backtracking a little bit, you know, to let's just talk about finding the right zone. You know, where we're at is pretty unique for ourselves, you know, because we're at the end of a road, you know, tucked into the, the hillside there. And there's, you know, a huge cattle ranch upwind from us in National Forest. So when we get those westerly winds that come from the coast, which is 30 miles away, you know, and where you can, but we still have windscreens up, which uh, the re the frost protection fabric, the reme, I always get confused with the remesh, which is like the the steel. Uh, but yeah, you get the reme, and then we get the thick. There's two microns. You get the thicker micron. You can even double it up and yeah so we and this was our first year doing the in-ground mail garden which was fun because we'd have uh had them in pots before and this is nice to get them trenched in and in the ground and you know having having two different waves of uh seed creation sounds like it's really working as a win for you as well i mean uh i i know Three. you Three. Oh, all right. Because yeah. like you, you have the, um, you know, you've got your auto flowers, and a lot of yeah. people grow autos because they do their thing earlier in the season, and that's very convenient. So people will have DEP autos and then their full terms. But uh, I would think that uh, with your style, how you're describing it, it also helps with pollen collection because you can reuse those same boxes, the ones that you're using earlier in the season for the auto flower collection. You know, once you've removed those from the male autoflowers, you can wash those down and then take them on over to your full terms. And then that way you can make half as many of those nice boxes that you described. Yeah. And with the autos in like the springtime, since, you know, we have 40 acres and our gardens are with, you know, are kind of spread out throughout those 40 acres too, and a little bit. So I had different zones for, you know, my autos. I got, because I had, I had, I think uh, we did, and then I made little pollination rooms in some greenhouses too, with uh, just plywood and I used the um, frost protection fabric. 
And then I had like one auto on the backside of a shed, and I put T posts around it, and I put that frost, that wind break with that frost rotation fabric. So I, I would do us like you know selected open pollinations, and with those that were kind of contained, not field scale. You know, these were you know ten by twenty were the biggest ones. Some of them were just four by fours. You know, depending on which auto I was making and how many seeds I, I wanted to make of it. You know, I'm starting to get this idea that there there's enough variety in how you're doing this. Um, and, you know, there's, that's probably actually pretty accurate for most farms that, that they, they don't have enough of any partic one particular resource. And so the more they do, the more variety there is in how they do it. And it sounds like so long as you have the basics down of knowing when the pollen's going to drop so it doesn't drop unexpectedly, and that you exclude the male plant one way or another, whether or not it's with a uh, cardboard box or your upgraded uh, wooden box, or you make something, you know, uh, something with uh, you know a, a micron mesh around it. You know, so long as it's excluded, so that pollen stays inside, and then you decide how much pollen you want, and then when you when you've collected enough you you know you stop the process with water and then you can remove the box it sounds like really you can do that same process with a whole bunch of different um techniques and and ways yeah. to do it but really it's it's those uh, main activities that have got to be done and once you find you know the resources that you have as a cultivator that can do those jobs you're you then have your special sauce yeah yeah and you know it's and then you're always learning and and oh wow you know you know someone over here is doing something cool i'm gonna try that out too and you know and you know one thing that we're gonna start moving to which we haven't really done too much of besides in our greenhouses is build actually like pollination chambers and we're going to try this next spring because you know we're going to be attempting to uh breed out 200 varieties of autoflowers that we have working on um at once in our fields with um you know i think maybe we're going to make some pollination teepees you know because uh -huh. we have a we have a fir forest that needs to get thinned and gonna use that uh frost protection fabric that and double layer it around there so that the the wind can't hit them and then let them pollinate and then i will mist down the inside of the pollination chamber to make the pollen that unviable so i can get in there and cut the males out and then I can take the the fabric off and let them finish off in the full sun. So when you say pollination chamber, um, you know what I picture in my head is the the last time we talked about pollination chambers on the show. It's the ones that uh, Caleb CSI Humboldt has got, and and his are indoor and they are um, they're negatively pressured because of his his HVAC pulls so much air out of the room that. Um, you know, when he's when he's done, it just pulls the pollen out. Now I'm imagining you're making a pollination chamber that's outdoors, and so probably is not going to have HVAC. So are you more talking about, um, you know, like an an inert um, air environment, like where it's not being pulled in or sucked out? It's just a it's just a larger exclusion area. 
It's. I'm just trying to stop the wind from hitting the males in for the, is for the auto flowers. You know, for if I was going to do larger ones, you know, I would do hoops and you know, and people have done this successfully with just frost protection fabric double layered up over their uh, breeding hoops, uh, and we're going to attempt to to do that with the autos and in the springtime but yeah so there'll be the walls we pretty much closed off there will be a little airflow on, on top and you know just to so that these 200 varieties won't cross-pollinate with each other and then we'll, we'll be growing some autos outside in the rows just to just to see how it works so i know that where you are in the valley you're lucky because there's there's not a lot of folks around but we should probably talk to uh the idea yes. of using um you know uh pollinating just out into the air so um, yeah yeah you've run into this many times so i'm gonna i'll let you go ahead and lead and, and i'll follow up with you why, why should we be careful about how we're spreading our pollen around oh yeah i mean is you don't want to seed stuff that you don't want to seed in your own garden, let alone your neighbors. And, you know, like I said, we're in a, a unique location where we have done successful field scales, you know, what I call selected open population, because I reduce the amount of males by structure and, you know, whatever that, that you, you want to say like that, but still, you know, decent amount of pollen up there. And, and o only in the, with the autos in the spring, in the spring and early summer and you know we don't have neighbors close to us that we're doing depths at that time uh we do now so you know i haven't done open pollination since then and i've definitely you know checked in with them to see where they're at in their cycles when i you know which gave me some relief that they were in veg when i was pulling in a lot of males you know <laughs> so mm. i didn't you know uh it's, uh, um, it's important, though, to be aware. You know, I like that you have such good connection with your neighbors that you know who is depping this year and who is not. And, you know, it's always good to, for us to be talking with our neighbors just as being a, you know, a healthy cannabis community anyway. But, you know, like where I live on Vashon Island, um, no one should be uh, pollinating freely, unexcluded outdoors because, you know, my whole island's only 14 miles by six miles, which means that any pollen that's produced anywhere on the island could get anywhere on the island. It's just because pollen can travel 15 miles, right? So so anywhere on the island that, that somebody is just letting pollen go is a danger to other people who are growing and, you know, especially on an island like ours where there are so many uh, growers who are patients, um, you know, you right. really don't want to pollinate a patient's, you know, uh, garden, you know, a few parcels down from you and, and kind of, you know, ruin their medicine. And also, you know, uh, we've talked about before um, the, uh, the valley where Oregon CBD seeds uh, is in Oregon. You know, there's a, there's a lot of both uh, THC and hemp farmers there. And they have yeah. had problems before with you know rookies yeah. who are new to the scene, and they're like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna you know pollinate this whole field, and then and then their whole valley got pollinated, and yeah. so um, so you know uh, 
Seth Crawford from Oregon CBD Seeds, you know, is trying to put together what I've been calling a pollen exclusion zone, but but he's trying to organize the farmers there to say, hey, let's you know, let's all agree to this compact that we won't open pollinate on our properties for everybody's benefit. You know, not try not not telling them they must not, but that, like having people voluntarily get involved because really it's not really the best way to go about it at scale anyway um yeah. but it's really important to be aware of your neighbors and, and while while we're oh. while we're at it i also totally. I, I also want to uh, shy people away you know it's it's cool and it feels you know radical to make these uh feral hemp bombs you know you like take some mud and you take some nutrients and you take some you take some seeds, uh, cannabis seeds, and and people go around and kind of like just chuck them, right, to try to restart feral cannabis in the U.S. And and while the idea of weed being everywhere sounds pretty cool, um, the idea of having these sneaker males just like pop up in nature uh, unexpectedly, um, it it's not really a, a great way to go because you know it. it you're you're pollinating your neighbor. You could be pollinating yourself, and it's really uncontrolled. So, you know, I'm all for more and more cannabis for everybody. But perhaps let's not throw genetics just you know willy nilly in nature, so that we have unexpected males everywhere. And I would say that uh, open pollination, you know, not in in the field, is probably extremely rare. If like maybe even like not you should just never do it yeah <laughs> and you know also we're upwind from us is one of the widest stretches of national forest in mendocino county too you know not saying that we're not pollinating any gardens there but they shouldn't be growing there if they are <laughs> well you know i i can't say that i've never open pollinated uh just out naked uh you know in the air as well i mean i i did that once in 2013 when you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't, hadn't thought it through, right? Honestly. Yeah. And then I thought it through and I'm like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this again. And, um, uh, so, you know, for those of us who have, who have done it, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, you know, doing it out of inexperience is one thing, but, but how about let's not do it on purpose while we're talking about open pollination though, regardless of whether or not it's, um, it's outside, um, you know, in the air or whether or not you're open air quotes, open pollinating in a, in a warehouse facility, uh, so or that green, you are, greenhouse. or a greenhouse or, or, or a really closed up hoop house. Um, why don't you talk a little bit to the advantages of, of what open pollination is and, and, and why it's good? Because so far we've only talked about, you know, mostly taking one specific plant and breeding and mating it to a, a very another specific female, but you know, open pollination captures attributes in a different way. And, and so, why don't you kind of explain what that is, so that people have got a frame of reference for it? So yeah, we did a open pollination project um, in twenty eighteen with our lion claw autoflower uh, regular seeds. Um, we did two rounds. We did a, a early spring and a late spring, early summer, and it was magical. And the honeybees were harvesting, you know, pollen from the males, and they were just not even paying attention to the females. And which is cool because later that year, I, I read an article how, you know, industrial hemp can that that are growing with males and females can provide summer food for bees when it's scarce, and and that was really beautiful to see and. And you're, you're just going to, there's, you make a t 
ton more seeds in an open pollination, you know, whether it's in field or in a hoop house than you do with, with painting, you know, more than you ever probably going to need. And yeah. And, and so, but we did like a selected open pollination. So we were, we were looking for specific male, but you're going to get more diversity in an open pollination, even a selected open pollination, unless you're doing, I've done open pollinations with just one male in, in a greenhouse, you know, with autos and stuff or, or other ones. So it, you can increase the diversity or in the smaller hoop house, like, you know, you got your stud in there with the, whatever females you want to pollinate and you're still going to get a lot more seeds that way than, you know, but there are ways to get a lot of seeds. Like, um, I'll double paint a female if I really want to make a lot of seeds on it. Uh, you paint it once and then a couple of days later, paint it again, maybe, you know, within, and then you can keep painting it for like, a, you know, depending on how much time you have left in the season, you know, you want to give yourself a good four weeks to finish out where, where you're not painting it again. You can, you know, on a little two, three foot tall plant, you can get a couple thousand seeds by double, triple painting them. I'll be doing an open pollination uh, summer 2021 uh, over at a friend's house who's got some extra space uh, and who doesn't cultivate. Otherwise, uh, we've got a uh, we're going to use their uh, greenhouse because there is a, there's a, a an old uh, heritage um, cultivar here on Vashon called OVP Original Vashon Purple, and uh, and the 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 fella who used to um, you know provide the seeds on the island for the, like the last whatever twenty years or something. Um, he uh, moved up to Canada for the last uh, the last stage of his life, and and so um, I was given his last fifty seeds, and he's all like, you know, this, every summer he would take his his best uh, producing plants, and and he would make next year's seed out of it, and so you know, while it's certainly not a land race, we kind of think of it as an um, you know, acclimatized land race, if you will, because it's become uh, so great for our particular area, our short summers. And so these plants are, they're early to start, they're early to finish, they don't grow too big. And um, they are, you know, they tend to be uh, mold and, and pest resistant. And so, you know, wow, 20 years of selective breeding and just opened, you know, open pollinated every year. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. And, and we, I grew these seeds uh, once four years ago and the plants were just fantastic. And they, they, they had you know, some good terping profiles and everything. But, but then I didn't pop any more of the seeds because I'm like, I don't have the skill set yet to properly preserve these and so but now I do and so we're gonna we're gonna pop a bunch of those and just let all the males and the females hang out in one closed environment and just nature take its course but you know excluded and closed in and so the reason we're doing this and why people open pollinate is so that you can get all you can get a nice snapshot of all those genetics you're going to get you know, ver- various different males all putting, you know, their different genetic expressions out and all these different females. And so, you know, it's it's the opposite of what most people are looking for when they get a pack, you know? I mean, a lot of people, they're yeah. like, okay, I bought a pack of 10 seeds. I'm hoping for the plant that, you know, was described to me, you know, when I bought the seeds. And, and you know, nowadays with everybody putting out F1s that 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 plant the, the 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 golden child plant if you will may or may not be in the pack 
And and while that's not, you know, many people want that when they buy seeds, there's a lot of the rest of us who are just all like, okay, we want to know everything that's in this genome. So let's make a wide variety of seeds and, and then sift those, right? For what you're, and then start breeding with and those. And I, I believe it's called a preservation breed. A preservation breed, right on. I haven't heard yep. that that term. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to take, like I was gifted his last 50 seeds. We probably popped 10 of them so far. So maybe I've got 40 left. And so we'll take some number of those and, and just pop them and let them go through their thing. And so what we should end up with is several thousand seeds that in that, you know, in that grouping will have everything this plant can possibly do shown in it. And then, and then we'll take those seeds and we'll, we'll give them out to people, you know, on Vashon and stuff and, 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 and hope that the lineage can just carry on itself. And, um, and, you know, I'm jealous of you because, of course, you've got, you know, these much larger hoop houses. So you can do that in a much larger volume than we will do in a, you know, a 15 by 710. Oh, yeah. And, and we're breeding on five farms right now, too. At least we've had, you know, in, in farms, genetics going on multiple farms, you know, so it's, yeah, it's, you know, and we took those 150 males and made over 400 combinations of genetics this year. Man, you got, all, you got a lot going on. I saw your new seed list and I'm all like, I don't know how he has time for actually oh. growing the plants, you know? Well, you know, I, I'll give a shout out to my, my team. I, I have an amazing veteran crew. And I couldn't have accomplished what I accomplished this year without them because, you know, I did take off a lot of time just to focus on, you know, pollen collection and breeding and, and seed harvesting where, you know, so, uh, yeah, because I also running uh, multiple flower farms. And so, yeah, I have a team, amazing team, and they've been with me for a lot of them two to five years and a lot of veteran. So I couldn't have done what I did without my team. So. Right on, right on. That's some good respect. So, so let's go ahead and take another um, short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, preserving pollen uh, and then bringing it out of uh, refrigeration for use and a couple things like that. So, um, you are listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is Daniel Morford of Hard Rock Mountain Farm. If you listen to Shaping Fire and you grow your own cannabis, chances are high that you are very particular about the inputs you use for growing. People like us painstakingly self-educate on cannabis nutrients and techniques so we can cultivate the best tasting and cleanest flowers possible. And when we go to purchase those nutrients, we want to be sure that our supplier shares our values and is providing exceptional quality. This is why I recommend buildasoil.com to my friends who care about quality. Build-A-Soil empowers organic growers to do their best work by sourcing and shipping only the finest cannabis growing supplies. From organic inputs, soils, soil testing and pots, to lights, growing tents, sprayers, and cover crops, Build-A-Soil founder Jeremy Silva doesn't just stock his store with what's available. He goes deep to personally vet each product for quality and determine that there isn't a better version of the product that he could be selling. Because of this arduous process, you know that your options on buildasoil.com have been carefully curated to create the results you are looking for. Not only that, but the Build a Soil way is a philosophy that will permeate your interaction with the company. 
From website design to pricing and shipping to after-purchase support, Jeremy and his team always strive to do their best and give you the best customer service in the business. Check out buildasoil.com today for top-tier quality cultivation supplies and a friends and family buying experience. And check out their educational videos and extraordinary social media while you're there too. Quality organic growing supplies at buildasoil.com. After you've caught up on the latest Shaping Fire episodes, do you sometimes wish there was more cannabis education available to learn? Well, we got you. Shaping Fire has a fabulous YouTube channel with content not found on the podcast. When I attend conventions to speak or moderate panels, I always record them and bring the content home for you to watch. The Shango Los YouTube channel has world-class speakers, including Zoe Sigmund's lecture, Understanding Your Endocannabinoid System, Kevin Jodry of Wonderland Nursery talking about breeding cannabis for the best terpene profile, Frenchie Cannoli's Lost Art of the Hashishan presentation, Nicholas Mahmood on regenerative and polyculture cannabis growing, Dr. Sunil Agarwal on the history of cannabis medicine around the world, Eric Vlosky and Josh Rutherford on solventless extraction, and Jeff Lowenfels on the soil food web. There are several presentations from Dr. Ethan Russo on terpenes and the endocannabinoid system too. While there, be sure to check out the three 10-part Shaping Fire Sessions series, one with Kevin Jodry, one with Dr. Ethan Russo, and one with Jeff Lowenfels, and even my own presentations on how to approach finding your dream job in cannabis and why we choose cannabis business, even though the risks are so high. As of today, there's over 200 videos that you can check out for free. So go to youtube.com forward slash Shango Los or click on the link in the newsletter. As a business owner, you are incredibly busy. In reality, you are responsible for everything your company does. You've got so many responsibilities every single day that often you just don't have the time to really dig into your marketing as deeply as you'd like. You know there's more that you could do to reach out to new customers and encourage loyalty in the customers you already have, but you certainly don't have the time for it and you're not ready to hire somebody full-time for that role either. For you, I recommend Blunt Branding. At Blunt Branding, Kirsten Nelson and her team are focused on improving your bottom line. You know, most marketing firms are excited to make your logo, packaging, and website very pretty, but they leave responsibility for improving your bottom line up to you. They don't want that kind of responsibility, but that's pretty much the most important part of marketing, right? Kirsten and her team will help you engage new customers, funnel them to your point of sale, whether it be online or a storefront, and keep them coming back to you and telling their friends. Now, if you happen to be a new cannabis company or an established company moving from medical to adult use in your state, Kirsten especially can help you. Not only is she well-versed in marketing and finance, but she totally gets cannabis, whole plant medicine, terpenes, heritage farmers, and the particular needs of startups. Check out what she did recently for Moontime Medicinals and Humboldt at MoontimeMedicinals.com. Kirsten and her team put together a whole brand package for them, built their website, and wrote their sales materials. No doubt this is a paid commercial spot, but that does not mean they bought my opinion. I've worked with Blunt Branding on five projects now for various of their clients, and every single time they have done more than they have promised and over-delivered on results. I love how they generate new revenue and focus on that as the goal instead of just making a pretty logo. Similarly, every single friend I've referred them to has come back to thank me, and that just does not happen every day. 
Grab a pen and paper because the website address is coming up. If you want someone to implement marketing programs that feed your bottom line, give Blunt Branding a call. They will share proven techniques to increase your audience and generate sales while using cutting edge technology solutions in the background that make all of this easy, automatic, and trackable. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash blunt branding to find out more. You can also click the link in our newsletter. Blunt branding, marketing that makes you money. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I am your host, Shango Los. And our guest this week is Daniel Morford of Heart Rock Mountain Farm. So, uh, Daniel, what I'd like to talk about in this third set is preserving the pollen because uh, it is so sad when we go through all of this effort to exclude and collect and get it all together and then we screw up the pollen and i have done this many times Mm -hmm. um and the pollen ends up getting corrupted and and there's so many different ways it can get corrupted but the one that i tend to have had the harder time with is is keeping it properly uh you know, dry and out of humid, uh, out of humidity. And then you see it and it looks all greased up and you're like, oh, damn, you know, it's, it's rotting right there. So, so why don't we start with that? Like talk to us a little bit about more about, um, how you keep your, uh, pollen safe. And then uh, a couple of the different techniques that, that you have experimented with, um, to keep it over time. Well, one pro tip that I learned this year is, don't get the cheap moisture packets, you know, get the really good, get the really good ones, you know? So, uh, and bigger than you would need for the actual size jar that you have. So, you know, and so in these little, you know, I think they're a one ounce, you know, like you can see, they have like a, sometimes an eighth of cannabis in them. They're like, you know, smaller jars that have the pollen in there, you know, I'll put a one inch by two inch moisture packet in there. And, you know, I had some, smaller ones and i'm like oh and they were you know not as good and i used and i definitely had a a couple uh jars of pollen go off this year but luckily i used the majority of them with the bigger batches and and some of it was still but you can tell like when you open a jar and it smells sour it's probably not going to be viable are, are what kind of uh, packets are you using? Are you using traditional desiccant, or are you using one of the one of the fancy brands that they're using now, like to 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 for preserving cannabis? Oh no, not a fancy brand. Just your, you know, I like the silica ones with the little beads in there. Yeah, yeah. And and those actually help when I go to preserve the pollen because um, it's a lot of work uh, harvesting so much pollen. So you at the at, when you're done with it. I put it into single use jars and I've even used, just use, you know, dab jars size, you know, small. Cause once you, um, thaw the pollen, it's only good for about 20 minutes and then it's no longer, you can't freeze it again. You know, so I take it from the freezer to the ice chest to where I want to use it. And then it's, it's, it's done. So I I definitely take a jar of pollen and, and empty it into several little jars and, and also, that's why some people use the um, the flower cutting technique because you don't. There's like millions of little grains of pollen in there, and you don't need. You can cut it if you if you need it to go further on your projects. I've never done that, but you can. You know, when you say cut, that on, when I, when you say cut it, you mean like cutting it with like flour, like yeah. F L O U R flour. Yes. Yeah. Right on. So so. Um, so, so do you know what the what the ratio is? Because I've, I've come across that myself. And 
Um, it, it, I think that people use it because it makes the pollen a little easier to work with. It, it goes further and yeah. the flower helps decrease the likelihood that um, any particular pollen uh, piece um, will will get wet because the whole thing acts as a as a moisture sink. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. I've I've just never done it, but you know maybe I will start to add in a little bit of rice flour in it just to help that initial curing process dry out a little bit. But you know a proper moisture packet is is going to do the trick and. And also in the pollen boxes, they get to hang out there longer than the, than they did on the kitchen countertop or you know bathroom countertop. So you know, I well, it depends on this year. It was such a fast pace, moving so many. I don't think I'll attempt what I did this year again at this scale. I probably I won't need to because those autoflower hybrids I made that were full term because they're the F one. You know, twenty five percent of those are going to be auto flowering in the F two. So I don't. I can spread. It'll spread out my pollen collection even further. But when they get to sit in the box a little bit longer, or your collection chamber and dry out more, you know, you want to let it dry before you close the lid on on the jar, or mostly dry. But a good moisture packet is is going to save you from spoiling your pollen. But also sometimes it doesn't. It's just from the very beginning, it, it just doesn't cake right, it, or it cakes up. It's not like that nice powder. And it, so it's also, you know, if you have a particular cross you want to make, you know, and you have a couple nice males, maybe you want to collect pollen from each of those males to make sure that, you know, one of your, if one of your pollen goes bad, you have, you know, some backup. So when you, so thinking about your process, you know, you, you, in whichever collection method that you use, um, you collect it and it's probably pretty dried out in the bottom of your pollen collecting chamber. Or if you're doing it smaller scale, it's just fallen down next to the mason jar onto, you know, some paper or, or uh, glass or something. And then you, um, you use a Costco card, I use a razor blade, whatever. We, we, bring it, we bring it together dry. And I actually like your technique I'm going to start using where instead of putting it all in one container, I'm going to put it into multiple smaller containers. Because you're right, once, once you bring it out of refrigeration, you really can't put it yeah. back in because yeah. of the condensation. So, so, you, so um, do you always put it right into the freezer or do you often just use the refrigerator? So I never use the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. I go because when and when I'm done making seeds for the for the season, you know when I've pollinated everything I want to pollinate, I'll put in them into the single use jars and into the freezer for long term storage. And what's long term? How long do you think that stuff will stay? Um, good? You know, un unfortunately, with the uh, you know we've had some of those you know power shutoffs with the whole fi wildfires in California that, yeah. you know, um, I haven't been able to keep it for longer than a year, but I did get to use it the next, you know, so my ideal breeding program for me is, you know, um, like last year I used frozen and fresh pollen. This year I just use fresh pollen. Next year I'll use frozen and fresh, you know, just, just to, um, just kind of just the system I've developed, and then I like to take the frozen po pollen in the spring or summer and put it on the auto and see if it's viable. 
So you uh, give it a give it a trial first before you uh, commit. Yeah, and and I like crossing things into the auto. So right, yeah, because you just was for fun. Yeah. Um, so you know, one of the things that we um, run into a lot is um, you have one set of tools, but you're going to uh, be making all of these crosses, and yeah. you know whether whether it's your Costco card or uh, brushes or the Pyrex. Um, you're you're very likely going to be using some of these tools time and time again, and if you've got a serious breeding program, you can't be cross pollinating very literally. Um, what do you do to uh, you know clean your materials, or do you have any best practices so that you don't accidentally cross pollinate? Yeah, so I have a bunch of those you know, just those cheap little paintbrushes that you get in a huge pack with the multiple colors. And I ordered more this year because I needed more. And then I have a, um, I use them once per variety of pollen and then I'll put them in my mouth and then put them into the dirty paintbrush container. And then, you know, I'll hand wash those in the soap in the, in the kitchen sink with soap and water and use those, use them again. And then, yeah, when, and when I'm harvesting pollen, I clean off my tools in between varieties of pollen that I'm scraping up. I, you know, sometimes will clean off, you know, when I'm harvesting males, I'll, I'll, you know, clean off my hands, spray, mist myself down in between collection. Yeah. You know, a spray bottle, you know, if you have your males in a greenhouse, you know, like have a spray bottle is going to be a good miss yourself off before when you're when you're done with your males or change your clothes and miss your, miss yourself off and then change your clothes depending on where you got to walk from your male garden you know so yeah water is a really good uh, sterilization technique or water and a little soap depending on what you want to do i think that a lot of people um under prioritize the misting themselves down um and, and I think that so often people will go from where their males may be on the property over to where the females are. And people don't realize how easy it is to um, rub up against a plant just passing it when she's in bloom and, you know, brush two or three or eight pieces of pollen yeah. off. And then, you know, we all know that e even if, I mean, there's certainly sometimes we'll get a flower and we're excited because there's bag seed, right? We're like, oh, this is great. Let's let's grow this totally. out. And so it's like, you know, that, that can be cool. But generally speaking, we don't want seeds in, in our flowers because, uh, especially at the commercial level, because people know that this flower is not as potent as it as it could have been. And and it's it's fine details like misting yourself that can stop uh, accidental seeds in your product. And, and you know that yeah. like the, the product that you put out with seeds in it is going to be the, the person who gets it. It's going to be the one that's got the huge Instagram following, you know? Yeah. And you know, that's why you, you've really got to be on top of your game. If you, if you want to uh, collect and make seeds, collect pollen and make seeds outdoor. And I tell you what, with, you know, at the scale that we did, we definitely have a stray seed here or two, but we didn't nothing peppered. But like in our garden, one of our gardens that's closest to the male garden, yeah, there was a seed or two, which is, I mean, a success considering what we did. And and oftentimes we get a message, you know, oh, I found an a seed, and you know, if you find a seed in eighth or like you know a couple seeds in eighth uh, occasionally, most customers are going to be stoked, but some are not going to be happy. 
You know, and, 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 and it's, it's interesting, too, the different responses that people will have to that accidental seed. And even, you know, even I judge it differently. If, if I get it in, you know, an expensive indoor brand that I have paid money for um, and, and, and they hold themselves up as being like ultra premium, ultra elite, and they're charging an elite price, I expect there to not be any damn seeds in my flower. I, but, but, you know, most of the farms that, that I get flour from are, you know, regeneratively minded folks, outdoors, you know, Dempure certified, you know, m- more like, you know, very organic minded down home stuff. Well, if, if, there's a, if there's a seed in my pinkleberry, well, I'm actually going to be excited and, yeah. and, you know, I'm like, oh, this is, this is cool. And, and I'll be, I'll be happy about that. And, and, you know, so it, 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 my reaction to the seed often has a lot to do with um, how how premium the brand discusses themselves about how flawless they are, right? Because you know, yeah. a seed or two, like like I'm perfectly cool with that. But if you say that you're flawless and then there's a seed, well, then I'm all like, oh, I guess you're not, you know? <laughs> yeah, and in your, in your if it's indoor, it's probably from a herm. Yeah, you know, so that's not as not good. <laughs> So, so, so we've talked, so we've talked about, you know, taking the pollen, splitting it up into multiple jars, putting it in the freezer. And if you take it out, it's out. You can't really put it back in because of the condensation that takes place. Let's say from the freezer, you want to go freezer to, you know, to ice chests because you got 20 minutes after that thaws of viability. And then you can't refreeze pollen, um, in and then yeah so you could take if you let's say you got a bunch of pollen and you want to you know but when you initially harvest your pollen just keep it constant temperature you know dry you know not even in and out of the fridge a lot unless you're not going to use it for a couple months in the same season like let's say it was like wow this is super early mail i'm not going to have anything for like a month or two or the but mainly you just want to keep it uh constant temperature so when you take it out of the freezer right before you use it, you then yeah. put it into a uh, an ice cooler, and and the and the reason of that is so that you can then take that out to wherever you are on the farm that you're going to use it, yeah. right? Like if you're not yeah. if you're if you're if your fridge is where you're going to pollinate or or like in your home, you can just take it out. But you're talking about yes. pre- preserving, yeah, yeah. Pre- slowing down that window that you have to use it. And and I've done it before where I've taken out, you know. Uh, I don't know, like 20, 30 jars of frozen pollen, put it in the ice chest, gone out to my my field and, and put those tw- 20 to 40 jars on 40 different females. Yeah. Um, with, with, with really good success. I, uh, I don't know. I've never heard this anywhere, but it's just how I do it. Um, once I take it out of the freezer um, and, and, you know, if, if I had 40 acres, I would take it out to my plants in... Uh, you know, in an ice chest. But like once I'm ready to use it, I I don't usually like to think that I want to have it come to room temperature with the no. lid on it. I want to, I want to, I think that I want to take the lid off so that any condensation that might form in the jar actually is immediately going out into the surrounding air. Does that sound like a good best practice to you or do you do something opposite? Well, I, I, I do another thing. Let's just backtrack a little bit to when we 
put it into those single-use jars. So another reason I like to use those um, silica packets with the beads in them, the moisture packets, because I, when I go to freeze my pollen, I will cut those open and I'll put a little of those BBs in each jars and then I will use um, whatever, I use a small actual moisture packet that'll fit inside that little you know dab-sized jar. And then I'll close that up there too. And I've, I've just always just opened and used it from the ice chest. I've never, so, you know, once I open the jar, I'm out in the environment. So yeah, I open the jar as it then thaws as I'm using it. So yeah, I would, I would say, yeah, probably you want the jar to be open. Yeah. Right on. And, and, and yeah, using the desiccant pack that, um, um, in the small jars is not something that I was considering in my example. So that's a good thing too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I just do it cause it's a lot of, it's a lot of work and I want to make sure that that hard work gets preserved by a cheap little moisture packet. Yeah, totally. It's, it's worth the nickel. <laughs> um, so, you know, once, once the word gets out that you are successful at collecting viable pollen, uh, invariably yeah. people ask for that. Right. And sometimes that's good because maybe yeah. you want to trade with somebody. Um, but, but, Trading pollen is challenging because mostly because of all of the temperature issues that we've already talked about. But you know, I've heard of people mailing pollen. Have you ever done that? And do you have a best practice? Um, I have not mailed pollen, but I know people do mail pollen. And you know, if it's dry and you know it's fresh, you know, and it's packaged where it's gonna, I, I'm, it's, I'm sure it, it would most likely. You know, make it to where it's going and be viable for use. Um, you know, it's I have offered up pollen to, you know, some of the the grower groups I'm a part of in, in Mendocino County, and I, I did that one year, and it's a lot of work, and it was fun, and I got some, you know, but I I usually don't advertise it in the case. You know, I have a couple friends that I, I give pollen to that you know make sure to hit me up and come by my house to get to get it. <laughs> You know. Yeah, and you know, uh, I think that's really the way to do it too, right? I mean, I definitely do think that as uh, as cannabis is increasingly normalized, that um, that the sale uh, of pollen is going to become more popular, um, just like the sale of clones it have, has become more popular, and therefore people are developing new best practices for sending uh, clones. I think the same thing is right. going to be happening for pollen. Um, and there are certainly, you know, some hardcore heads who are doing it, but I, I would not say that it's common yet. Yeah. And, you know, I would say just like how you get those live predator bugs in the mail, you know, if, if, you know, someone was willing to pay for it, you know, that would probably be the best practice to make, you know, especially in these hot summers to make sure that it stayed at a cooler temperature and got to where it was going. Yeah. That's actually uh, a pretty good point. The same, the same things that I would think about for selling, ascending insects anything living it's the same same kind of headspace i would use about pollen yeah that's good and like i said earlier you know the when pollen's gone off it, it's it has a sour smell to it and so, taste and and taste too you know so that that's exactly where i was going to finish up which was you know when you're trading with pollen um mostly you just need to take the person's word for it and how it was handled and stuff what are there other things that you would be looking for in pollen? I, I've not run into the sour smell you described, but I do, I am familiar with like discoloration when it goes from, you know, yeah. whitish or yellow to beige, you know? And, and the consistency of it, you know, like if, it, if it's like a, you know, a, 
dry grainy powder that doesn't really stick and kind of doesn't and moves you know more like sand like very you know individualized there and um but you know i one thing that does come to mind since we're talking about pollen and you know i did send uh some pollen off for research and development you know they were it's i think flora wellness that they make like the among other things like some you know cannabis oils for like sexy time and 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 he thought that cannabis could be like a male supplement like you know pine pollen's a natural testosterone booster oh right on (laughs) so i was actually eating like fresh male flowers and you you get energized actually you get a little buzz from you know eating fresh uh pollen sacks well, you know I'm going to be doing that summer 2021 yeah. <laughs> now. I'm going to try that. I mean, I, uh, I I enjoy eating bee pollen, and it's really good for your mm-hmm. immune system, but I, I yeah, have never eaten the cannabis pollen. It's going to be the super uh, – I imagine like little dried male flowers dipped in chocolate, you know, sold at a co-op someday. <laughs> right on. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for taking some time and, and, and talking with us. When uh, when you told me that you had done you know such large groups successfully of, of pollination this year, I was really excited to, to, to record with you. And you know I've been growing your seeds now for two years and uh, they're, you know they, they've been universally reliable and uh, very enjoyable. So I felt, figured this would be a great time to, uh, to get together. So uh, thanks for uh, you know taking some time here at the end of your season to share your experience with us and uh, you know help people get a little little deeper into uh, you know their considerations and use of pollen. You know it, it's uh, been a pleasure and uh, I look forward to sitting down with you again sometime in the future when something else fun and juicy to talk about and you know thanks again for. You know, it was really a nice opportunity to be able to give you those seeds and to get some to some medical patients. And uh, yeah, actually, we should mention that too. That's actually how we what we met was uh, like what three years ago now or so uh, when you're yeah. you're, you're I th- at least I think it's your most popular cultivar, the uh, Lion's Claw, which was originally called yeah. OG Gold. Uh, you were kind enough to send out like a hundred packs to Vashon for us to give away to patients. And, um, and it was the first time that I had come across an auto um, that had uh, so much of the skunky alcohol esters in it. Uh, it had yeah. some real funk. You know, so many, so many of the uh, early auto flowers were sweets and berries and things like that. So, uh, so yeah, thanks again for sending out those seeds um, all those years ago. And it was, it was really crazy to have, you know, so many people on, on Vashon suddenly you know, be, be, you know, having and trading lion's claw auto flowers. It's like, wow, they're everywhere. So. Oh so, yeah. It's, it's been, it's been fun for me too. Like I went to check out a couple processing facilities and I see tubs in their rooms. Oh, lion claw. I'm like, Oh, that's fun. You know? So it's definitely fun to, it's really got, you know, got out and, you know, we definitely have tons of those seeds and we hope to get it out even more this year. Fantastic. All right, brother. Thank you so much. All right. Much love. To find out more about Daniel, you can check out Heart Rock Mountain Farm on Instagram and heartrockmountainfarm.com. And also, as I was just saying, if you're looking for a fresh approach to genetics, be sure to check out Daniel's regular autoflowers and photoperiod seeds.
You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news, exclusive videos, and giveaways. On the Shaping Fire website, you'll also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. Be sure to follow on Instagram for all original content not found on the podcast. That's at Shaping Fire and at Shango Los on Instagram. Be sure to check out the Shaping Fire YouTube channel for exclusive interviews, farm tours, and cannabis lectures. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Los.